If you've been participating in worship here throughout the Advent season leading up to this, you know for the past several weeks we have been considering the evidence that suggests that Jesus and his birth not only happened, but happened as the Gospels in the Bible uh, describe it, meaning that Jesus was born to a virgin named Mary, uh, who was uh, with child by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, that Mary and Joseph received word about this miraculous pregnancy via angelic visitations, and that the child she was carrying and gave birth to was to be named Jesus. That name, uh, Emmanuel, which means God with us, uh, that he would save people from their sins. And John's gospel is not nearly that subtle. He just says that the child born is none other than God himself. He said the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've explored how even before the gospels were written in their final form as we have them, that the writings of Paul came much earlier. They were written uh, earlier than the gospels and they're much more theologically developed, which means this that before the Gospels were even part of the Bible, the early church was already worshiping Jesus, knew him as, as son of God, creator of the world, savior of all people, crucified by the Romans according to prophecy, resurrected from the dead, reigning in heaven, and Paul talks about like one day this promise where he's coming to make all things new. When we stack up the evidence of whether or not the New Testament is accurate in describing Jesus against the evidence that all creation is set about by some random chance and that Jesus may not be who the scripture says he is, what do we get? Well, no one on either side can prove the reality of Jesus or not. Uh, There's very little in life that one can prove beyond the shadow of of a doubt. The question is, which version of reality is more plausible and makes more sense out of the world as we know it? And in that case, my trust, which is another word for faith, is in Jesus and the New Testament account of his life, his death, and his resurrection, and ascension, and the movement of the church that follows. And here's why that matters. Because if Jesus is who the scriptures say he is, then we can satisfy the deepest human longing in every single human soul. We can know God, and in that knowing, know our purpose and our identity. That's exactly what the scriptures seem to say in, for example, uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter one, verses one through four. And I'll, I'll read this passage from the New Living Translation just to sort of freshen it up a little bit for familiarity uh, in your ears. So long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything in his mighty power of his command. And when he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows us that the sun is far greater than angels, just as the name of God 
gave him is greater than their names. You know we're living in a supposed post-Christian era, right? Western civilization. Uh, Many churches, uh, headlines are always out there, how many churches are in decline in their attendance and how religion is supposedly relegated in the Western world to private lives of individuals rather than an integral part of our social fabric. That's how the narrative goes these days. And yet, I'm in line at the grocery store on the uh, Christmas Eve because I always forget something and I have to go to the grocery store on Christmas Eve. Um, And I'm there and I'm in the checkout line and there's at least three different magazines with Jesus on the front page saying things like, new evidence of the real Jesus or um, discover the real Jesus. I mean, there's like Time Magazine and these kind of magazines Jesus is still like everywhere. He's intriguing. There's history channels. None of them are very good, by the way. But like there's history channels on TV. uh, There's shows every year about Jesus, the historical Jesus, and and all of these things. You know, we're supposed to be in the scientific age. uh, And yet biology, astrophysics, and philosophy continue to grapple with the origins of life and the God question. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, describes this modern world as sort of like asphalt or concrete, and we've tried to cover up the spiritual world. That's kind of the living stuff, if you track with the metaphor. But here's the thing that Wright says is like, maintaining concrete and asphalt is extremely labor-intensive, and if you just let it go fallow for a few months, what do you start to see? Cracks, roots, and shoots. One of my favorite things I see every year, because we have all these volunteer sunflowers, is when they break through the crack between the curb and my sidewalk, which is not even asphalt, it's concrete, it's hard. And those sunflowers come up and I water them, darn it, because until the kids in the neighborhood come kick them down, I love that life can grow up in these cracks. And that's like trying to suppress the reality of the spiritual world. You cannot do it, it takes great effort. And if you let your guard down for a second, it will find a way to spring up. Deep down, you guys, there's a fundamental human longing to know God, a fundamental drive to know God that no amount of skepticism can suppress forever, which makes sense from a Christian perspective. I'll just say that because I'm a Christian pastor. It makes sense to me that that's true from a Christian perspective because supposedly we're made in God's image. And to know God then is really the key to knowing what we're supposed to be like and what we're here for. If the Christmas story is believable, which I believe we've at least made a case that it's reasonable, um, that matters because Jesus shows us who God is. The author of the book of Hebrews, that passage I just read, said that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the reflection of God's glory. He reflects God's image to us, yes, but more than that, he's the direct representation of God. The word used in English here, representation, has this Greek word behind it, character. Character, you know that word. Uh, Character, it's it's actually a Greek word. And this comes, it's often used in reference to the process in which coins were made in the ancient world. So like Roman coins would have the image of the character of of the emperor on the the face. And wherever that coin was, it was illegal uh, to deface the coin because the coin represented the emperor's location wherever it was, which is why it was a big deal when the Pharisees were challenging Jesus on like whose coin, you know, do you you pay tithes or taxes to Caesar? And then Jesus totally counters them and says like, well, show me a coin. And those Pharisees have 
the image of Caesar in their pocket. Ooh, that's idolatry. Anyway, um, so similarly, Jesus was the exact character or representation of God the Father, but he's more than simply just an image. There's, there's this word in Greek, icon, uh, that, that, that's what image means. We are icons of God. We're made in God's image, but Jesus is the character of God, the very essence of God. He's more than an icon of God. In fact, uh, if you were, say you were interviewing, you're, you're a boss and you're interviewing someone for a job interview and someone comes in, comes in, they present themselves really well, they tell you all these great things that they've done, uh, you could take them at face value, but you would probably check their character references because you want to know if their outward appearance stacks up to their inward essence. That's what character is about. So why does it matter that the Christmas story is believable? Because it means that Jesus is the character, the essence, the embodiment of God. When we read about him in the scriptures, we're reading about what God is like. So not only did Jesus like create the world, that's pretty special, that's fantastic, but he upholds all things, says the writer to Hebrews, in his power. Also Colossians 1 talks about this. Jesus holds the universe together. Jesus wills gravity. He wills the atoms of the chairs you're sitting in to hold together. He wills that you hold together. Without Jesus, you and I are merely a bunch of carbon, water, and a few trace minerals. Wills us together. And there's more. The Christmas child tells us that this all-powerful creator and sustainer is so humble and so willing to sacrifice himself for you and for me, for the good of our salvation, that he became as vulnerable as a human can be. He became a baby. Not just a baby, because there's a lot of privileged babies out there. Babies of kings have guards, and they live in palaces with stone walls. But Jesus, in ultimate humility, was born to a poor family, to a couple out of wedlock, in a manger not Christmas, a baby was born, yes, but more than just a baby, the creator himself made himself vulnerable for us. You want to know what God is like? Look at the baby in a manger on Christmas. There's more to it, though, of course, than just vulnerability and power. Listen again to the writer of the Hebrews who says, when he had cleansed us, from our sins, he sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. It wasn't enough that the Father, God himself, became flesh, but he also died for us, that all of our sin and our pain and our suffering, both that we cause and that we endure, would be taken upon himself, the Christmas baby, Jesus. That's God's rescue. Why does that matter in the 21st century in Bellingham? It was so long ago. How can that possibly have any credibility for us? Well, after he cleansed us from sin and promises to make all of the suffering and pain make sense in the new creation, after he died and was resurrected, he reigns. And he continues to reign over heaven and over earth. And our great hope, this is why it matters to me, why it matters to us today, is 
our great hope is that the one who reigns is the very character, the very representation, the very essence of God, and that we can trust that he will come again and make all things new, to recreate our broken world and to into a place of endless beauty and endless goodness. And we can trust him for this because he's more than just a hot airbag of words. He's more than just another wise teacher because if he just said those things without anything to back it up, he'd be crazy, right? Uh, But our savior emptied himself and he came and moved into the neighborhood and he was flesh and dwelt among us. And he didn't just talk a good talk, but he healed and he cast out demons and the power of evil And he turned water into wine. That's really cool. And he multiplied food and walked on water, showing his authority over nature. He opened blind eyes and deaf ears, showing his ability to help people see and hear, not only physically, but spiritually. He brought a dead man, Lazarus, back to life after that guy was dead for four days and stinking up a tomb. He himself gave himself to be crucified, showing his love for us by taking on our sin, and three days later, over 500 witnesses testify to him rising from the grave in a new body, a glorified body, a prototype of the eternal bodies that we are promised to have and look forward to in the new creation. The Christmas story, I believe, is believable, and that makes all the difference. God has come to us to reveal his character, his essence, his presence in Jesus. He's revealed that we can trust him and he's revealed what life as an image bearer of God can look like. And that in a world of ambiguity and not knowing what tomorrow will bring, that is very good news. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us For all the times I know I wish you would speak more, I thank you for speaking so loudly, for speaking so decisively and actually coming and dwelling among us and leaving a history in your uh, gospel accounts and in the early church and in the tradition. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for the hope that we have in you and I pray that we would live into that hope. 